Welcome to Liquor and Liqueur Connoisseur, where I drink, discuss, and discover the world of distilled spirits. I'm your host, Matt Burchard. This is episode 85, and I'm drinking Amaro Montenegro. With each episode of Liquor in the Core Connoisseur, you should expect that I'll be well-researched and educational, also entertaining and consistent in my reviews. I chose to feature Amaro Montenegro on this episode because it's a top-selling Amaro worldwide, certainly in Italy, and you'll have a fair chance of finding it on the back bar at a well-stocked bar. I simply love Amaro, and I've been wanting to give this one a go for some time. I've never had it before as far as I can remember, so we'll enjoy the journey together. The bottle I have for the tasting is a standard 750 milliliters of Amaro Montenegro. It is 23% alcohol by volume, making it 46 proof, and it retails at $40. The bottle is an icon. It's as recognizable by silhouette as many other famous spirits bottles, by those in the know. The general shape reminds me of a tapered leatherworking maul, a rather specific type of hammer, actually. The form was recently refined by the brand to make it a bit slimmer and easier to pour from, but it still holds true to the original form. This is of a smaller base that flares up a few inches to a wide part below the label. It's consistently wide for about a half an inch or centimeter or so, and then the main bottle above it tapers up to a shoulder that pinches to a neck that mimics the general bottle shape in miniature. A metal screw cap tops the bottle. It's green glass and the Amaro can clearly be seen within. The label was also updated slightly along with the glass mold, yet it's still very true to the original. The label has a tan background color and there's then an elaborate arrangement of awards and medals around a coat of arms featuring a lion in the center. Below this is the logo type of Amaro Montenegro. The date of 1885 is below this. Bottom of the front label reads, Bologna, Italia. The glass mold also features 1885 above the label and the signature of the brand's founder is below. This label is one that wraps all the way around the bottle and the back contains a very brief brand story amongst the legal stuff. Okay, let's give it a try. Go for the screw cap. And I'll give it a pour. I'm using a clean Glencairn glass for the tasting. It's a whiskey nosing glass, tulip shaped essentially. Has a bowl so that you can see the spirit and then swirl it around without really sloshing it out. The pinched top allows the aromas to gather so you can get a good nosing of it. And then of course it's rather easy to drink from. So here's a pour. In the glass, it's a golden, amber, almost a reddish color to it. Copper, almost, almost copper highlights to the color. It does have caramel color added. I know that from the label. And on the nose, just from opening the bottle and pouring it, I got some citrus notes, but let's really get the nose in there and give it a whiff. Oh, that's nice. It's familiar in line with other Amaro, but it smells kind of sweet. There's a a freshness to it, some citrus, but also cola. There's also some 
menthol to it a little bit. Hints of pepper, but there's something else. Maybe coriander. I know there's coriander in it, and that might be why I'm picking that up. Now let's jump to the palette. Mmm. It's very pleasantly sweet at first. Really citrusy. I get some vanilla. And then it it does bitter, slightly bitter. You pick up on the sides of your tongue. It's correctly an amaro with the bitterness to it, but it's not overly bitter. Let's try it again. Mmm. I taste clove. I'm left with a really pleasant, sweet, soft citrus. It's a creamsicle comes to mind, and I'll get to that in a bit. Uh, but creamsicle with a bitterness to it, along with some herbaceousness. There's some extra in there. Being an Amaro, there's 40 botanicals in this, so it's a big mix of things. It's not overly sweet. Aftertaste is a little bitter, mostly citrusy. It's pleasant. I pick up clove, though. Now on to the history. Amaro Montenegro's story is a great one, and right up front I have to commend the brand for producing beautiful brand origination stories, links to which will be included in show notes. Take the time to watch them. Amaro Montenegro dates to 1885, as noted on the bottle. But the story really starts with the founder, a man named Stanislaw Kobianki, who was born in Bologna, Italy, in 1862, and he was given a very strict clerical education, as in clergy, having been predestined to enter the priesthood. Stanislaw was a genius, however, and he rebelled, abandoning his ecclesiastical path in favor of a life of adventure. While still very much a young man, and even described in one account I read as an adolescent, he boarded a merchant ship to travel the world in search of true flavor. He had an interest in alchemy and became an explorer. He spent several years globe-trotting, collecting botanicals in his quest for treasure in the form of flavor. He returned to Bologna and spent four years experimenting with the creation of his own liqueur based upon the botanicals he had collected. He founded Kobianki Stanislaw Distilleria, where he produced his liqueur, first named Elixir Lungovita, or Elixir of Long Life. As part of the development, Stanislaw designed the iconic bottle for the liqueur as well. The story is he wanted to create a bottle as unique as the elixir it contained and created the distinctive vial shape. Meant to reflect a sense of alchemy, in the early versions, the bottle was more squat and wider than the current incarnation, and the widest part came to a point, creating a sharper edge. For 11 years, the liqueur was sold as the Elixir Lungovita, but in 1869, it was renamed and rebranded Amaro Montenegro, in honor of Princess Elena of Montenegro, who would become Queen of Italy when she wed Prince Victor Emmanuel III. Elena of Montenegro was described as an enchanting beauty, and perhaps Stanislaw was a bit smitten with her. While there doesn't seem to be any historical reference for this, the brand did recently produce a beautiful short film named The Revelation, inspired by Stanislaw's passion and sense of adventure, 
where they portray Stanislaw as an adventurer traveling the world searching for botanical treasures, narrating a letter he'd written to Elena of Montenegro, realizing too late his love for her. The viewer sees the wedding of Elena of Montenegro and Stanislaw arriving much too late from his far-flung travels to do anything about it. So he pours himself into the creation of Amaro Montenegro and dedicates it all to her, having found her once again. It's a great video again, and there's a link in show notes to it. Whatever the true reason for the name change, Amaro Montenegro has been the name ever since, and it's noted that the recipe was not changed, nor the bottle, just the name and label. Amaro Montenegro won some awards early on. Some are showcased on the label with listings for Prague in 1898 and Brussels in 1910 at World Expositions. Other medals and awards shown on the label have dates of 1971 and 1975 from Brussels and Amsterdam, respectively. But before we jump up to the present, it's notable that in 1921, the popular Italian poet and war hero, Gabriele D'Annunzio, wrote a brief letter to Stanislaw Kobayanki where he praised Amaro Montenegro and declared it the liqueur of virtues. D'Annunzio may have been somewhat of an expert on liqueurs and perhaps enjoyed them to excess because just a year later, there was an incident where he fell out of a window and was badly injured while intoxicated. Or, an unknown assailant may have pushed him out of the window as he'd become involved in Italian fascist politics by this time. Whatever the case, the praise that Gabriele D'Annunzio lauded upon Amaro and Montenegro was welcomed and the brand still references it a century later. World War II did slow production as the distillery was damaged by bombing, but in 1946, production had ramped back up post-war. In June of 2018, the brand introduced the first major packaging update in decades, featuring the more ergonomic design of the bottle I mentioned at the beginning of the show, which was said to make it easier to pour, while retaining the essence of the original form. From a labeling standpoint, the most notable thing I noticed between the current label and prior ones was a refinement and kind of reduction in the size of the main logo, a little rearrangement of all the awards and medals, just basically giving the label a little more breathing room to the elements. But in general, it all essentially looks the same. And in that same year, 2018, Amaro Montenegro was named Best Liqueur by the San Francisco World Spirits Competition. It continues to win awards today. Today, Amaro Montenegro is part of the Grupo Montenegro, or Montenegro Group, the third largest spirits company in Italy, whose flagship brand is Amaro Montenegro. Essentially, Amaro Montenegro has remained independent since founding in 1885, with a company growing up around it. So now, let's talk about how it's made. The secrecy with which Amaro Montenegro is produced is well known. It's another brand where only a handful of people know the recipe, reportedly just three. And those individuals' identities are also protected. What's known is the liqueur is made from 40 botanicals from four continents. No more than about a dozen of these ingredients are publicly disclosed, and they aren't going to be very surprising to anyone familiar with Amaro. They include, in part, coriander, artemisia, oregano, marjoram, bitter orange peel, sweet orange peel, nutmeg, 
cinnamon, and cloves. A master herbalist is employed by Amaro Montenegro, and he oversees production in the same way Stanislao Kobayanchi did. The recipe is unchanged from the original, and though there's much secrecy around exactly what goes into the liqueur and how it's processed, the brand is rather open with the general steps used, so much so it's listed on the back label of the bottle and detailed on their website. While bottling is done in Bologna, processing of the botanicals is done in Tremano, Italy, in a rather industrial part of the city. The factory is closed and no visitors are allowed. One journalist who was given a tour was said to be only the third such person to be allowed inside the production plant. They describe a highly secure facility with only six long-tenured employees, each with limited access to different parts of the plant, accessed via keypads at various doorways. Part of this obviously is to maintain the integrity of the trade secret recipe, but it also likely has to do with the fact that the production facility also processes Peruvian coca leaves for Grupo Montenegro's brand Coco Butan liqueur. The distillation for the coco leaves removes the cocaine molecule, but in raw form, it's a Schedule II narcotic. And I suspect Coco Butan may be similar to Cocolero that I featured on episode 60. Go back and give that episode a listen if you've not heard it. So the fact that the Tremano plant processes botanicals for more than just Amaro Montenegro creates a convenient layer of plausible deniability for those working there. The fact that the particular botanical is at the plant does not necessarily mean it's used in Amaro Montenegro. I doubt there's coca in Amaro Montenegro. And for a trained professional, some aromas cannot be hidden. Botanicals are stored in identical white sacks featuring only a five-digit code on them to help obscure their contents. They're kept refrigerated, and since 2004, the brand has stockpiled a two-and-a-half-year supply of all ingredients to maintain production and insulate them from the changes in supply chain disruptions. Supply chain disruptions are all the talk as I record this episode in 2022, primarily due to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic globally. But the reason that Amaro Montenegro first took the precaution of stockpiling so many ingredients was after the 2004 tsunami hit Sri Lanka, they were unable to source the cinnamon that they use. The 40 botanicals go through a process of milling, then boiling in water. They're then macerated in alcohol for 20 to 30 days. This is then distilled. The botanicals must be kept separate during the process, as some probably macerate at faster rates than others. Also, they are then blended together to create 12 mother essences that are then synthesized into six flavor notes. These six notes are bitter and herbaceous, spicy and floral, sweet and roasted, fresh and balsamic, fruity and vegetal, warm and tropical. These six flavor notes are blended according to the original recipe with some alcohol, a neutral spirit, water, and sugar. Some caramel color is also added, per the label, and it's almost done. There's then a seventh signature flavor note that's produced in Bologna at the company headquarters. The true secret sauce that makes Amaro Montenegro special, it's called Premio, and it's the final ingredient. Premio translates to prize in English, 
and it's the result of the microdistillation of five botanicals. The Premio is so potent that only one liter is used for every 15,000 bottles of Amaro Montenegro produced. Essentially, just one drop is in each bottle to give it that special touch. The journalist given the factory tour in Tremano smelled a dab applied to their wrist from an eyedropper and said this, I suspect they simply melt down creamsicles. It's a fair bet then vanilla is part of the Premio. And when finished, Amaro Montenegro is distributed in about 70 countries around the world. And now on to cocktails and consumption. Amaro Montenegro is consumed neat, usually, or perhaps on the rocks. However, Amaro Montenegro does mix well. Like many Amari, it can be used as a modifier in an existing cocktail recipe or as a substitute for another ingredient. For instance, they have a version of a Negroni they call a Monto Negroni, where Amaro Montenegro is used in place of the Campari. Play around with it, but Amaro Montenegro is often referred to as kind of a beginner Amaro. It's sweet, slightly bitter. I've heard it mixes well with cola, and actually it's got a cola note to it, so I think it would be quite nice. So in summary, what do I think of Amaro Montenegro? It is really easy to drink. It's great. I'm glad I finally got a bottle. I don't think it will last that long. It's really easy to consume neat. It's got a very pleasant flavor. Also, the brand story is wonderful. You always have to take origin stories with a grain of salt. Did the company founder actually travel around the world to four continents collecting botanical ingredients? Yes, probably, but did he have the intention that he was doing so so that then he could found a distillery and create his own liqueur or Amaro? Maybe. It's a good story. There is definitely brand history from 1885 to today, and they've kept it pretty much the same. It's very popular, too. You're going to be able to find Amaro Montenegro most places. And again, it tastes great, so grab a bottle. If you've never had an Amaro, you're a little afraid of bitter, this is a good entry point for you. So that's going to do it for this episode of Liquor in the Core Connoisseur. I'm your host, Matt Burchard. Please subscribe and share. Tell your friends. Show notes are on liquorinthecoreconnoisseur.com. You can also find the show on Apple Podcasts, your favorite podcast platform. I'm on social media. Instagram is where I'm most active. I always love hearing from my listeners, so if you have a spirit you'd like me to feature in an upcoming episode, please do reach out. And as always, thank you for listening. <laughs>